0: Good morning, we come to God's Word now, found for us, brought to us, from 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. In my Bible, that's on page 241, so maybe yours is close to that, if it's not there. 241, okay. Before we can get to chapter 18... We had to go through chapter 17. Sounds only logical. You can't understand what's going on here in chapter 18 without remembering what happened. What God has done. You remember last week we, we saw that great victory of the shepherd boy David over the, the man giant Goliath of the Philistines. We also saw the first of many foreshadowings. Little clues like breadcrumbs uh, leading us to the ultimate deliverer. The one who was sent to save. The Christ. The son of the living God. We got our first breadcrumb last week. But you'll remember as uh, King uh, Saul cowered with his armies uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. Listening to the rebuke of this profane Philistine, cursed the name of the living God and all those who were gathered in Israel. And no one could be found in all Israel to step up and to challenge him to to stand for the Lord until David came. And David heard this and was greatly offended by this profane, uh, defying Of the true and living God. And he went. And he faced Goliath. And he struck him down. But before he struck him down. I can't help but but reread the proclamation that he made. As he stood before this giant of a man. David said to the Philistine. In chapter 17 verse 45. You come to me with a sword. And with a spear. And with a javelin. But I come to you. In the name of of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. And then He did just what He said. And after He struck him with the stone He ran at him having no sword of his own and He picks up Goliath's sword. And I can remember back to when my Uh, now adult children were little ones and we acted this out and and my oldest son Luke stood over me with a great big nerf sword and he declared this promise that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear for the battle is the Lord's and he would cut my head off I being the great man giant you know who was defying him but it happened And David cut off Goliath's head, and all the Philistines fled, and the armies of Israel chased them out of the land. What a great picture. And King Saul, back in his tent, can say little more than, whose son is this? And when David finally comes back after uh, fighting the Philistines and he comes back into the presence of King Saul carrying the head of Goliath. What a picture, this little shepherd boy carrying in the head of the man-giant Goliath. And all Saul can ask is, whose son are you? There must be something about your lineage. There must be something about your clan. You must come from a great warrior clan. And he had promised, right, that the, the, um, to make the father's house free in Israel of anybody who would come and defeat this Philistine. And he says, whose son are you? And at the end of chapter 17, David simply answers I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. The one from Bethlehem. And here we get our first breadcrumb. Our first foreshadowing of the true Deliverer. The Son of God who would be born in Bethlehem. And from that moment on, Everything changes for King David. Hear now the word of God that comes to us from chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house, while David was playing the lyre, as he did, day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him, twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in. Before them. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God we thank you for this your word. For the depth of it. The truth of it. Lord would you give us eyes to see. And ears to hear what your spirit. Would say to your church this morning. Lord though these stories. That we read this morning are thousands of years old. Would you make them new to our hearts? Would you bring them to life? Make them real to us in a way that we would never be the same. For our sake and for your glory. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this chapter, chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, we have a glimpse of some of the things that happened after Goliath was slain, but... Most importantly, we have a great glimpse of God and what God is all about. This chapter is full of contrasts. Repeated contrasts. We see good and evil. We see love and hate, truth and lies. Trust in God. And a desire for nothing more than Complete personal autonomy. And I want to speak to just three simple things this morning from this text. I want to speak for just a moment about Jonathan's friendship with David. And then as the text takes us through, we see Saul's reaction to David. And then throughout it all, we are reminded of the people's love for David. Jonathan's friendship with David is unique. No doubt Jonathan had already known David because David had been attending to Saul's troubled mind in the the house, in the court of Saul. And so no doubt Jonathan knew who he was. Perhaps their friendship had already begun. But what we are told right here in verse 1 of this chapter is immediately after David finished speaking with Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is the beginning of them becoming somewhat of blood brothers. They are both soldiers. We know from the earlier chapters we've already covered how Jonathan is a great and mighty soldier in his own right. Powerful, successful. And David here proves himself... With Goliath that he too, and even after he chased the Philistines off, he too is a great and mighty soldier, even as Saul puts him in charge of his men of war. But Jonathan's soul is knit to that of David. Their friendship now takes on a whole new meaning. Much more like Proverbs 18 tells us that there is a friend that sticks even closer than a brother. This is where Jonathan and David's relationship is. And this is surprising. Because Jonathan is the heir to the throne. And what is it we would expect from an heir to the throne. When a, when a newcomer comes along and begins to take on the favor of God and men within the kingdom getting great success, a a usurper of sorts, you would expect the heir to the throne to oppose him, to try to undermine him, to somehow distance himself from him and plan for his ultimate demise. That's, humanly speaking, to be expected. It's happened throughout human history. But Jonathan here immediately knits His soul to that of David. And it tells us also that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. I have to say that today love is falling on hard times. We have reduced the whole concept of love to some kind of sentiment. Momentary passing emotion or sexual desire. Whatever feels good. Whatever attracts me, I love. But this is different. This is a love that knows no end. A love that knows no bounds. This is a very strong bond that is full of commitment. For here, Jonathan does not just commit his soul to David. He knits his soul to the Lord's anointed. Whether Jonathan knew of Samuel's conversation with his father King Saul in the earlier chapters, we don't know. When back in chapter 15, the prophet of the Lord Samuel came to Saul and and confronted him with his sin and rebellion against God. And he says, this very day the Lord has torn his kingdom from your hand and he has given it to another man a better man than you perhaps jonathan knew of that declaration from the prophet we don't know we know that samuel never spoke to saul again after that day And here in chapter 18, he knits his soul to the Lord's anointed. If he knew that the the Lord had departed from his father, King Saul, and was clearly with David. Or whether it's just obvious to everyone that the Lord is with him. As it repeatedly tells us here over and over again. Jonathan commits himself... To the Lord's anointed. Where is his greatest allegiance but to the Lord God himself? It even supersedes that of his devotion to his father. His own desire for the throne as the the pending heir to the throne. This is a deep, active love bound up in self-sacrifice. That's what love is. Jesus has shown us that's what love is. It's deep. It's active. It's bound up with sacrifice. And so Jonathan makes a covenant with David here. A formal covenant. He doesn't do this in secret. He doesn't just pass a note to David saying, Hey, want to get together sometime? I'd like to get to know you a little better. Nothing. He, before all, publicly formally makes a covenant with David swearing his allegiance to him and he does it in a visual way he takes off his own royal robe and gives it to David his armor his sword his bow his belt he hands over to the lord's anointed public recognition Of who the king is going to be. This is a complete commitment to David. Here Jonathan surrenders his claim to the throne. He gives up the rights to his own cause. And he commits himself publicly to the Lord's. Friendship is a scarce thing. True friendship is a scarce thing. I think our modern day world in all of its worldly wisdom has lost the concept of what true friendship is. Friendship that is focused on someone else. It goes beyond what the world sees as the norm in terms of commitment. What is the world's idea of friendship? But if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you love me the way I want you to love me, then I'll love you. You know, only if you're the kind of friend I want you to be, will I be a friend to you. That's the world's idea of friendship. It's more like payback. In a world where true friendship is lacking, we have a great opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ. We can actually have an advantage. We can be. Actively be a place where we model for the world what true love and friendship looks like. It's meant to be active, committed, sacrificial. Remember what Jesus said uh, to his disciples in John chapter 13 when he said, They will know you are my disciples if you love. One another. And what does love look like with people that you're getting to know, but friendship? They will know you are my disciples if you have deep, meaningful friendships with each other. Active, committed, sacrificial. And you remember what Jesus said uh, to his disciples in the upper room. He said, I no longer call you my servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you my friends. That the Lord of hosts would call us friend and demonstrate it actively, committedly, sacrificially, is meant to be an example to us. Do you remember that old song? Some of you aren't old enough to remember this song, probably. That old Michael W. Smith song, Friends. Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. For a friend will not say never, because the welcome will not end. That's Jesus' example to us, of friendship. Well, Jonathan's example here leaves us with a challenge. Stop and think, what is the basic fundamental choice that all humans are faced with but to be masters of our own destiny, rulers of our own lives, or to abandon the right of personal autonomy and bend the knee To the Lord's anointed. That's the fundamental choice. All human beings are faced with. Personal autonomy. Or bending the knee. To the Lord's anointed. There's no other side. There is no other option. Do we bend the knee to the Lord's anointed. And surrender all claims to our own cause are we friends or are we enemies with the true and living God enemies that's what we see here in Saul's reaction to David Saul promoted David it tells us to being uh, the leader over the men of war and that was pleasing to the people and as David would come back from having to fought the Philistines, and and the cheerleaders were out in the streets. (laughs) The women cheering, this is a common occurrence in the culture. The celebration of victory as they come back. And the women in the streets, it tells us, with tambourines and songs of joy. Yeah, but that offends Saul. It angers Saul. And it tells us here in the text that he is displeased with David. Because of it. Verse 9, it tells us Saul eyed David from that that day on. Verse 12, he's afraid of David. Verse 15, he's in fearful awe of David. Verse 29, he's even more afraid of David. And so was David's enemy continually. This is Saul's reaction to David. Enemy. Enemy number one. Saul feels threatened by the success of David. But the reality is, Saul is acting just like Goliath. Who stands and tries to defy the living God. And to curse any who would dare defy him. And by uh, resenting the success of the Lord's anointed, he reveals the truth of his own heart. Do you remember? When it comes to Saul... It's all about Saul. Remember what Samuel told the people when they first came and asked for a king like all the other nations have. We want a king like all the other nations. He said, let me tell you what it is you're asking for. This king that you want will take and take and take everything for himself. He will take your son's. He will take your daughters. He will take all your livestock, all your belongings, and he will take it for himself. And after Saul was king, we began to see, even when he he began searching for mighty, powerful warriors, where did he place them? But he took them for himself. His own personal guard. The king who would take, take, take for himself. This is Saul. It's all about Saul. Not the Lord's kingdom. Not the Lord's anointed. Saul had abandoned the Lord, made an idol of his own reputation. And the Spirit of the Lord left him and rushed upon David. And so Saul has no peace. Three times in this chapter it tells us that the Lord was with David. And here it tells us that Saul now raves. He raves nearly out of his mind, crazy with anger and envy and hatred and strife. And twice he tries to kill David. Now he, the text makes it clear, Saul knows exactly what he's doing. Now his servants, even David himself may have thought, you know, he's having a really bad day. <laughs> you know, he's kind of just crazy and he just throws his spear, he doesn't know what he's doing, you know. Give him the benefit of the doubt. We know when we get to the next chapter though, right off the beginning, David finds out, no, no, Saul really is trying to kill me. But here in chapter 18, twice he throws his spear at David, trying to pin him to the wall. He wants to destroy this uh, enemy, this usurper. He's afraid of David, it tells us. Why is he afraid of David? Because the Lord was with David. This is the exact opposite reaction to the Lord's anointed from that of Jonathan. Jonathan knit his soul to David. Because he loved him as his own soul. Saul tries to destroy him. Saul Saul is consumed with hatred for David. It seems... Way out of proportion, doesn't it? It's kind of like the passion with which people today hate Christianity. Not just Christians. I I understand that sometimes because Christians sometimes are just really awful. Sometimes they don't act like Christ followers. Like Christ-like ones. Christians, people who claim the name of Christ don't always live like it. So I understand people hating Christians. We fail Christ all the time. But, but hating Christianity? The whole concept of who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and all that the scriptures tell us about him. This seems uh, really to even defy reason. It is such an over the top reaction. Especially when we know the truth. And the truth is that it's because Christ Himself is a threat to those who hate Him. He is a threat to the very desire for self-rule at the deepest level in our hearts. Because if Christ is who He is, then we cannot be who we in our sinful hearts want to be. We want to be kings. Remember what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, beginning in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ's very existence presents us with a moral question. Who reigns? Me or Him? People always talk about the good news of the cross, but it's not really good news for everyone, is it? No, it's actually pretty bad news to some people who hate Him. They don't like it because the cross tells them that they cannot do it for themselves. It challenges all of us at our most fundamental point of identity. Just who do we think we are? I can almost imagine David saying that to Goliath. Who do you think you are? To defy the living God. And yet, that's the challenge before us. The question that plagues us. Just who do we think we are? Saul and Jonathan present us with the two most basic paradigms of responses to God. Well, What about everybody else? What about the rest of the people? Well, the third point is the people's love for David is all over the place. In this chapter. His promotion to the leader. The commander of the men of war. Pleased them. They sing songs of joy. It culminates in verse 16. Where it says. But all Israel and Judah loved David. For he went out. And came in. Before them. Six times in this chapter. We read of how others loved David. Jonathan. Loved David. The women in the street loved David. All Israel and Judah loved David. The servants in Saul's own household loved David. Saul's own daughter loved David and married him. Everyone loved David but Saul. And they loved David. Because they can see what he has done. And they know that the Lord is with David. He's winning victories, not for himself, but on their behalf. Four times in this chapter we read of David's great success. And at every turn, it's always attributed to the presence of the Lord being with David. And because of that, they know that only David... Can do it. He's the one going out and coming in before them victorious. And this is a a stark reminder of the tragedies of Saul. The Lord blessed Saul with a very gifted and successful military leader in whom the Spirit of God Himself dwelt, but Saul regarded that as a curse, a curse. Something to be blotted out and, and done away with. It seems as though Saul would rather David be crushed in defeat by the Philistines than to have him grow in any more favor with God and men. Even if it means robbing God of His glory. Even if it means hindering the advancement of God's kingdom. You see, David's victories make Saul feel Small. But for the people, when David's victorious, they don't feel small. They feel safe. And they rejoice in the Lord's anointed. Well, my final challenge to you this morning is this. Consider. Just consider today. Is your response to the person and work of Jesus Christ one of joy and celebration? Or one of resentment? Confronted with the claims of Christ, are you intimidated? Do you feel small? Do you resent Him? Or do you feel safe because you know that He acts on your behalf? When you think of Christ, does it bring joy to your heart? Or fear and resentment that He is somehow holding you back? From all the things you want for yourself. What is the paradigm of your heart? Is it that of Jonathan or that of Saul? In your heart, when you hear Christ proclaim, ask yourself do you bend the knee? To whom is your soul knit? Well, that's the dividing line in all humanity, isn't it? The true fundamental identity marker. Now, there's a whole lot of identities floating around our culture today, the world today, uh, from him, her, and them, to Republican and Democrat, to Black Lives Matter, to uh, LGBTQ, to pretty versus ugly, to success, Versus failure to whatever. It is all ultimately of no consequence. Because the fundamental identity marker is determined by the cross. Is it foolishness and an offense to you? Or is it truly the wisdom of God? That's what really determines who you are. Just who you are. Christ crucified, is he the power of God unto salvation or is he too an offense to you? It's not race, it's not political association, it's not success or sexuality. The passage before us makes it very clear that it is your response to the Lord's anointed that determines who you are at your deepest level. May the Lord deliver you from all envy and jealousy, and give you the assurance once again that He is always with you, and as the truest friend that sticks closer than a brother, may He grant you His peace. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our warfare, but you have come, As the great Deliverer, you have come ready to save. Worthy are you, O Lamb of God, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made us a kingdom. Priest to our God. We shall reign on the earth. O Lamb of God. We praise you this morning. You who sit on the throne. May blessing and honor and glory and might be forever and ever yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.